0: The Incomparable Podcast Episode 11 November 2010
1: This is The Incomparable Podcast I call this meeting of the book club to order uh, Is it made to order? Is it, do I get to choose? I did choose actually I think What books we finally decided to talk about this week
0: You didn't say I hate you all I thought that's how every podcast was supposed to open Let me introduce all the
1: people I hate today <laughs> Uh, First and foremost, the voice you just heard, Glenn Fleischman. Hi, Glenn. Hello there. Um, Also joining us today, Dan Morin, who's on every podcast. Hi, Dan. (laughs) I'm on every podcast in the world. That's right. Uh, I don't know why, but he is. He's usually uninvited. I'm really, really (laughs) bored, clearly. (laughs) Also joining us today, uh, Scott McNulty, who will be with us for a while, and then we'll duck out to do,
2: like, exercise and stuff. Yes, I'm a fat man who wants to be less fat.
1: Well, that's you're holding down the Zeppelin right now.
2: Exactly. You need to be lighter than air.
1: And also joining us today for his first time on the podcast, be gentle, or or don't be gentle, Greg Noss. Hi, Regis. It's really nice to be here. (laughs) That's right. Kathy Lee will be joining us soon.
3: (laughs) Work me like a ham. <laughs>
1: that's right that's not not a euphemism everybody working him like a ham. So we have three books to talk about today and first up is Spin, winner of the Hugo Award by Robert Charles Wilson, uh, published in 2005, won the Hugo Award in 2006. It is apparently the first book according to Wikipedia in the Spin trilogy. I've only read the first book, so I cannot speak to the other uh, magical uh, selections in this in this uh, in this trilogy. I believe Several of you just
4: finished this book. I read this ages ago. I don't know what you're talking about. Like
1: five minutes ago, right? <laughs> like
4: like at least I mean, depends. Are we talking about it in spin time or in regular time? Oh. That's right. Were you inside
1: the envelope or outside the
4: envelope? And Scott,
1: you just finished it recently too, right? I finished it last week. Wow.
0: I finished it about two weeks ago, so I'm fairly ahead oh, of the curve.
1: My, my goodness, this is like a real book club. Um I I, I read it like two years
0: ago, but uh, that's okay. That that was, you know, I feel I feel like I'm with it now. <laughs> we should start by asking, why didn't you read the next two? Is that an indication of the book's quality? I bought a Kindle, oh. and th-
1: it's not available on the Kindle, and I decided oh. I wasn't going to buy it in paper, and I haven't, you know. The third I, one's I've not out yet. It. I bought it at, right, there, there that would also
0: be a, That would be a small bar. Laws of Time
1: and Space, it. which are contravened in many parts of, of Spin. So anyway, Spin... Robert Charles Wilson, the, the premise is that what would happen if um, the Earth kind of got enveloped by this shell that turns out to be um, slowing its passage through time. So time in the rest of the universe is pass, passing much faster than it is on Earth. And there are some social ramifications and there's some character ramifications. And then there's some interesting things that happen when, you, when they start to figure out that they can actually send stuff outside of the bubble into the rest of the universe. So... Um, i don't know i don't know quite where to start uh we'll circle back around to this at the end but uh, you know did you guys did you guys like it and you know what what did you like about it and what did you not how about uh let's go with dan who read it the most recently by, <laughs> by several minutes
4: <laughs> yeah i'm struggling to digest this entire book that i just finished um i kind of give it a, a solid i liked it you know it wasn't it wasn't like one, I didn't love it. I didn't think it was, like, the best book I've read, but it, it was entertaining. It was interesting. There's certainly a lot of great ideas in here, and he, he really does pack them in. Um, I I guess when I felt, like, what kind of the weaknesses are, um, some of the characters are interesting, but they're very hard to identify with. At some points, more deliberately than others, I think, you know, especially when you talk about this – these. You could argue the central character, if not the protagonist, is is this guy Jason, um, and he is terrible. Kind name of, by the way, yeah, yeah. What a terrible! I can't. You just can't believe anybody with the name Jason. No way. Untrustworthy. Um, but he's kind of intended to be. You know, he he's sort of set up as he's a genius. You know, he knows. Um, he's very intelligent. He's been groomed from a young age to really uh, change the world somehow. Um, And he happens to find this sort of, you know, he comes of age in this in this perfect timing when he's actually able to put himself in a position where he can actually change the world, arguably. But he's also kind of this inscrutable character who's very set apart from a lot of the other characters, including the narrator, who is his best friend and who is sort of the tempering influence sometimes, but um, also seems to be on, you know, almost a more realistic plane. Um, but I guess I found you know some of the characters harder to identify with than others. The uh, Wilson, a lot of his female characters, especially, are very—I hate to say—not—not—not not, not, not always complimentary, um, and not always as well drawn as I think I would like. Um, we get very much uh, the idea of Jason's sister Diane, like viewed through the prism of, prism of the protagonist who is in love with her, so. We get her drawn up a lot, and I don't think that's necessarily always borne out by her actual portrayal.
1: Is she not Jenny from Forrest Gump? I mean, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> where, basically. Where she like goes off? She's a childhood friend, and then she she's goes not off there for a lot of it. She right? gets caught up in some crazy fundamentalist religion stuff, and is kind of a hippie. Well, and and she weirdo. has to be rescued,
4: which I felt yeah. I yeah um, like given the fact that she was put on such a high pedestal, I kind of expected more from her. Like, what does he really see in her? Like, you know, there there were definitely some sparks of earlier on, I guess, in the relationship in terms of like you know she's set up to be kind of a parallel to her brother, but also. Always like a step below him, right? And so I guess, you know, it's hard for me to to sort of see her the way that I think the protagonist does.
3: I've seen this problem in a couple of science fiction novels where there's a group of, of characters who started as children and they're super kids. I mean, you know they're going to span the entire course of the novel and they're going to change the world. And so they don't – they seem remote from the moment they're introduced.
4: Yeah. Like hard to identify with because I mean I mean I don't know about you guys I mean I was a super kid briefly but <laughs> yeah. so I guess it's a little easier to and sort you of still see wear it. the cape well, there is that Jason
1: <laughs> does have a, a little bit of the whiff of Ender to him right
4: yes exactly that's a great comparison that's
2: true both characters jerks
4: <laughs> <laughs> but for the yep. greater good arguably right like that's they're right. they're jerks so the rest of humanity doesn't have to live like jerks.
1: Ender doesn't like die in the corner with crystals growing out of his eyes, though, right?
0: where's the spoiler horn? Oh, <laughs> oh. sorry, we've
1: already fired the spoiler horn. Oh, I just I, have to course. remember to put it. Virtual. In.
3: <laughs> no. I I only read the first of the Ender books
0: too. Oh, stop rest, there! miss there! Yeah. <laughs> this is part of our ongoing, the ongoing incomparable theme of only read the first book yeah, in any yeah, series. The sequel too far. first book. Yeah. Is there any? Yeah. Tell me Was about that the re- second dune book.
3: How'd that work out? Oh. No.
1: <sighs> yeah, so Scott, uh, what did you think?
2: Uh I enjoyed the book a lot. Uh I did kind of, I agree with Dan that most of the characters are not likable and I kind of found <laughs> the the what's his name? Tyler, Tyler. who's the the protagonist and the narrator or is he there? Well, he's the we see the story from his point of view and he kind of I I don't, he he is like a fawning puppy to this family of people who do not treat him all that well, but he just keeps going back to them. Right. Uh, Which I kind of annoyed me throughout the book because you know, he's, he's kind of the most relatable of the characters that are all unrelatable. So you kind of feel for him, but then you think, why do you keep going back to these situations where these people don't seem to care about you? And he's kind of cold too,
4: right? Like they make a point of that at a few different places in the
2: book of him being a little bit removed from the world. Right, when he he starts going out with that woman who is – and his coldness is, is justified because it turns out that that woman is a secret double agent.
4: Ooh. Yeah, yes. another, another one of the female characters who's not drawn exceedingly
2: complimentarily. <laughs> doesn't yeah. doesn't come off well. Well, we all know women are just about sex, religion, and betrayal. Oh, don't forget alcoholism. Wait, wait. religion? Oh, alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> They're Drunk, yes, drunk,
0: stupid, and – what else in this? You've book? You've got
1: to have that jaded. I, I mean, I like this book, but the the mom of the of the uh, of of Jason and Diane is a she's like your jaded Washington alcoholic housewife, right? But with a
0: secret, a deep secret that can only be revealed five percent before the end of the book.
4: Yes, exactly. Yeah, I mean, she gets a redemption a little bit at the sure. end there, but but
1: not she still. have a central casting sort
0: of? Throughout no, you know, there's the there's yeah. one positive female character. Is it Malaysia? Right They're in Malaysia, not Indonesia. Oh, y- yes. Oh, the, that, the Malaysian doctor, and she is awesome. She is well yes. drawn. She's fascinating. This is my problem with the book: is that I'm much more interested in the secondary characters than in the main characters. There's an incredibly strong plot and some really neat science, like some really neat ways of like where you're trying to suss out exactly the envelopes about for the first hunk of the book. Then once all that's known, I'm like, well, I really kind of like the Martian or I like, mm-hmm. you know, that the double crossing betrayer woman, like she's sort of interesting or the fundamentalist guy who Diane Mary like he's fascinating and bizarre. Like all those people are drawn in sketches much more richly if not realistically than the primary characters
4: yeah I mean speaking I mean speaking from a writerly perspective that's easier in a lot of ways right like because when you have yes. a character who is such a major character they have to be so fleshed out you know just in terms of their exposure in the book and they have to be so developed and so three-dimensional to get you to really be inside their head. That it's very tough because you can really see it in a very close detail, as opposed to the sketches that you get for those secondary characters, which are often enough to get you let your imagination sort of fill in the rest of the details. You don't necessarily have to go into their home life and, like, you know, oh, they had a terrible childhood and all this stuff. You can sort of get an idea from them from just a brief few throwaway lines. And I, I agree. I think Wilson does very a great job with a lot of those secondary characters.
1: So, you know, this book does have this interesting uh, back and forth device where you are bi- essentially billions of years in the future <laughs> with the same characters that we, we see in the past uh, when they're kids, and it goes back and forth. Um, and to Glenn's point, it, it is interesting that the the stuff that's set in the future feels very different. Uh, some of the characters there are very interesting. They're really on the run in Malaysia trying to get a boat to <laughs> escape, and the, and Tyler is really sick, and we don't really know why he's sick at first and we discover that uh very late um and i i really enjoy that time frame a lot although it does have the flaw of being the part of the story that doesn't really have an ending
4: right well i mean the structure of the book if you ask me is um kind of i'm guessing it's deliberate in the sense that um it's kind of an arch right because both of the things start you you start at the beginning and then at the end the two narratives meet yes and so and of course, you know, there is an arch in the book,
1: a giant arch, <laughs> a giant arch, pass. which
4: is symbolic. So I think I mean, I, I would not be surprised to find that the structure of the narrative was created to sort of have a have a resonance with that, um, like that whole development.
3: Who was disappointed by the ending?
0: Everyone.
4: <laughs> everyone, uh-huh. everyone, I was. Well, what, did I, dis- what disappointed you about it? I want to know. Was, well, I, I was
3: fascinated by the idea of the bubble and the physics that went into it, and how society reacted to it. It was like there were so many possibilities once they'd established that it had happened, and then as they started resolving those possibilities, uh, as the number of things that it could be collapsed down into specifics, yeah. they it was all really well done. But you were just kind of left with oh. Okay, I'll buy that. And The Martian was interesting, and okay, it was fun to go and terraform Mars in the next couple of weeks. And but it it just it didn't seem to add up to the potential that the bubble had at the beginning of the book.
0: There it, was... it turns out to be it's a universal, literally universal phytonet. <laughs>
1: Wow! You've lost. This podcast is over. <laughs> wah, wah.
0: <laughs> no, it is. It's, it's, a von, giant, ne- it's, it's von
1: Neumann machines,
0: uh, and going Universal across the store galaxy, and Ford Packet Network,
1: and they've decided. I mean, the premise again. The spoiler horn long ago was fired. The premise is <laughs> that that um, he's looking for work now. The that the uh, <laughs> that this yes, thank you, uh, and I have, and I'm sorry. The premise here. Is that they're they're wrapping intelligent races in this spin shell so that they can prepare the galaxy or the universe for them in some way, but it's going to take them a while. So basically, the the, the robots say, "Okay, we're going to slow you down for a, a few billion years while we do other stuff, and then we'll take you back out and then uh,
4: party." It's kind of a pre-singularity novel, right? Like you know, you're the the. The book leaves off at the point at which you're sort of human – humanity is entering what yeah. you might popularly call the singularity.
1: And that's why the ending didn't bother me because I felt like, you know, it is an ending to say, yeah. he, you know, Tyler sort of makes his transition into this fourth stage of life and – you know, he and Diane go through the, the, whatever it is, the arch to this new world and, and humanity
4: makes a transition too.
3: Yeah. So I mean, it's it's definitely an ending, but it's still kind of a disappointing ending given the possibilities that there were at the beginning of the book, a quarter of the way, a third of the way in.
4: Well, I mean, that's always going to be the case though. I mean, like, you know, mm, when right. you have so many, I mean, you have so many possibilities as those get diminished. I think oftentimes there's, there is, there is a big potential for disappointment there.
0: It I, I just thought it, it felt... It felt like I it was really winding down. About, yeah, like it, it 80, didn't percent the book. Up. It wound down. Yeah, it just... It, it's like we get towards the denouement, and it's like everything that was interesting about the book starts to drain out. The Martian is killed. Mars becomes more ordinary. You get this sort of potboiler thing, like why they're on the run seems really interesting until you discover that for arbitrary reasons, the government is just killing all the people who have gone through this yeah. transformation you're like well what it doesn't make any sense why well, they kill them round them up use them for their own purposes ex- you know autops and whatever but they're like they're killing them because they're something it's like well, uh, I don't get it i mean maybe they like explain get the compressed future compressed
4: at the end they sort of yeah. like dump a whole bunch of info on you like this is happening in this nap to, to do that little tie where they get the two narratives tied together
1: there, there was also- a lot of a lot of that, that that um it reminded me a little bit of Darwin's Radio and the sequel to that by Greg Bear which it's the same sort of thing which is throughout the book the government is sort of this and maybe i don't know maybe there's some politics involved here but the government does lots of things and it's sort of a shadowy conspiracy or they're they do it out of fear or they're craven politicians and you have a lot of the story that's sort of being driven by um kind of stupid government Mm -hmm. or politics um and you know maybe that's realism but um i i almost want a little more escapism I guess from a sci-fi novel and and for for it to just come down to the fact that wow there are a bunch of jerks in the government who are going to want to suppress this or use it for their own purposes uh, well, but, what, but they what, they what, d- they're, they're not even game? doing
3: that they just want to arbitrarily hunt the heroes for, for no yeah because that's a because it's the, it's required right. for the end of the book
1: Well Darwin's radio is kind of or, or the sequel to it is, is kind of I, like that too which I let's hunt them all down
4: it's not good I kind of like the uh, the paranoia aspect in the beginning when everybody talks about being paranoid. And they're like, well, I mean, we kind of got a good reason to be paranoid, right? Like some unknown force has totally wrapped our world in yes. this bubble and is totally doing something to us that we don't really understand. So, you know, paranoia seems to make I sense. To talk,
0: I want to talk about borrowing because I, now I did like the book until the ending. I thought actually it actually was a very strong and interesting and really unique voice. And I was really – compelled to get through it, but like thinking about it now, since I've got the uh, perspective of two weeks to (laughs) have thought about it, I feel like every, almost everything in the book comes from somewhere else. Like it really starts to feel like a pastiche with thinly drawn main characters. Like, you know, I was just looking up, I remember the Commonwealth saga and the Void trilogy, Peter F. Hamilton series. That are going on where it's uh, you know uh, portals between worlds and a certain kind of sophisticated society out there, uh, Hyperion, which we 're going to talk about with portals between worlds that 's kind of a common, but it 's still this arch thing that lets you walk back and forth between different places. the um, ring world did anybody think about Ring world when they talked about the fourth age business, the Martians life extending uh, whatever these people become protectors you know they have slightly different physical attributes, their attitudes are changed so they 're more protective what do you stranger reaches, in a strange land. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there's just, right. Martian comes to earth, which you can understand the echoes of Stranger in a Strange Land, like that's you know very well, and it gets it gets a table. shout
4: out too, which is kind of a nice a nice <laughs> moment where the Martian wants to read all the Martian sci fi.
0: Yeah, but it's and there's I mean there's more too, but I I guess I wasn't that it was all recycled or purposely borrowed, but at the end I was like God, you know this is this is like 10 or 15 different you know hunks of different books oh, you know, even the um, uh, the Kim Stanley Robertson Mars series where it's like we're going to terraform it's like let's take all of that and put it into five pages we're going to send these seed ships off and then if everything goes well there'll be settlers there who advance yeah, sufficiently what, what enough a, to help us I have to
1: say that there are two great ideas in this book and one of them is what would happen to society if, if you know the stars went out and there was perhaps a suggestion that um, that this generation on the planet would be the last because then the sun will swell and that'll be the end
4: you get and, that eschatological bent yeah
1: yeah and then the the other nice word and the other big idea <laughs> here is this time bubble and the ramifications of sending people through it and there's a really nice moment that has stuck with me in the last couple of years since i read it which is that there's a slight launch malfunction in one of the ships that's going to mars and it it launches like 15 seconds too late which means that because of the speed of the time bubble. That one ship is going to be like 10,000 years behind everyone else by the time it gets to Mars. And in theory, the civilization there will have completely forgotten about Earth until these guys drop out of the world, even though they left at the same time. And the whole kind of deep time of what it means to play off of tens of or hundreds of thousands or millions of years and how quickly it happens to the people who are in the bubble. I mean, what a great idea. So it's two great ideas. I mean, a novel can probably subsist
4: on one and he has two and what like and what glenn was saying about like this being kind of a pastiche i mean i think that's you know you say that and i think well that's a great premise for a book right there like you <laughs> know from the perspective of the martians who have like going along living their ordinary little life and a rocket drops out of the sky hey remember us oh. um and, but I think at the same time, like
0: Guide to the Galaxy, Book Four. <laughs> yeah, well,
4: I, I argue that the you know every good or many good science fiction novels and novels and arts works in general all build on these things you know borrowed ideas from from what's gone before and I think you know and clearly in this case a lot of it is homage you know by the by the you know the vocal call outs to things like Ray Bradbury and and Robert Heinlein and all that stuff. Um. So you know that's okay.
1: It's okay, Scott. Do you think it's okay?
2: I, I do think it's okay. And when I was reading the the book, Spin, uh, the scene where they're sitting on the lawn and the stars disappear reminded me very much of uh, Isaac Asimov's short story, Nightfall. Has anyone yes. read oh, that? Oh, yeah. Name? Yes. Which is a fantastic story. If you haven't read it, you should stop listening to this and read it right now. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> you should go back <laughs> to your childhood and read it and then come back to see it. Exactly. So the premise is that this planet has six suns and it's never experienced full darkness and through a confluence of things, it's going to go through full darkness and what's going to happen. So you don't know what happens at the end. It, the darkness comes and he leaves it up to you. Although I think that they wrote a novel version as well. That's right. Yes. So Robert Silverberg, maybe? I don't know. But I very, didn't know Very, very dull. Well, there you go. It was dull. There's a movie, too. The movie was also dull. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so that was another prestige that came through my mind. Uh, and I thought, I agree with Jason. I think that the the two great ideas of the book – kind of make up for the lackluster characters and the kind of disappointing ending. Although I haven't read the second book, so I don't know how much more disappointing it can be.
1: You mentioned, uh, a few people mentioned the Martian.
2: I, I think the Martian's
1: a, a a really cool character, this idea that we we let, we let fire off these rockets and then like a couple of days later a guy comes back who's the result of this whole civilization that's more advanced than theirs. That is the result of those rockets being fired off. And he's human, but he's been on Mars for so long that he's uh, he's essentially an alien and he's looking at us uh, with, uh, with some sort of amusement and detachment, which I, I thought was a great bet.
0: And in the great history of science fiction, he makes sure and notes that he's interfertile, even though no sex occurs between him and other people. But it is noted because we need to have – you know, it has to be set up for future books. The the two great ideas in this book – and I think you're right. There are two great ideas. The problem
3: with the ending is that neither of them tie into the ending. They're both concluded by the end of the book. You might as well have just had this arch appear by magic for all the impact that the two great ideas of the book have. Or not
1: appear. I mean, you could have just had it be other than having a MacGuffin, where they have to get somewhere in in the Indian Ocean. You know, <laughs> there's no reason for it at all. It could well, be the like sequel, the, that's why it's there. The spin goes <laughs> right. right. The spin but, goes away, and that's it. And now you're re- now the universe is ready for you. Well, crap. What happens next, right? But, but, but I I thought, instead
2: isn't the whole function of the spin that they put your planet in the spin, and then they you get to a certain point, and they build these arches for you so that you can expand your civilization because one yes. planet's resources won't support you. I think
3: that's the idea. But the spin Although, is magic, wh- and so the arch could be magic. It could have just appeared. There's no, re- reason, argue- there's, yeah. there's, there's no reason for the spin except as a great idea. And by the conclusion but of the, the book, it goes away.
2: The book would have been much shorter if the arch just <laughs>
3: appeared. <laughs> arch. But I think that's right, why that, the ending that, is that, so that, disappointing.
1: That interleaving plot would have been boring if they were just pretty much waiting around to catch a bus <laughs> to get to the arch. <laughs> New planet, this way, number 18. It's they a could,
0: local, though. It'll take several chapters. They could call it Roll. <laughs> that would be a picaresque story, if I recall right.
1: Wow. All the words today. This is... This is Incomparable I know you guys, words. I know you guys can read. Stop with the crazy words. Uh, Scott, we don't have you for m- much longer. Do you have anything more uh, you'd like to share about about spin?
2: Oh, um, trying to think. I think we've covered... Uh, I thought no it was zeppelins. interesting... No Zeppelins. No uh, Zeppelins.
0: They're, no, they're the, aerostats, though. They're not Zeppelins, but they're stuff that's floating yes. at low altitude. There's
1: a whole so there industry of, of high-altitude balloon technology yeah. because do, satellites can't exist. So that's sort of Zeppelin-esque. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And
2: I do love the fact that so at some point, these giant cube devices appear above the poles of the planet. Hovering the, in space just uh, like bricks don't. Exactly. And everyone's freaked out by them. And the Chinese decide, well... Why don't we shoot some <laughs> nuclear weapons at it and uh, see what happens? Which I thought sounds like something the Chinese government would do. Yeah, no offense it's, it's, to the Chinese actually government. that, that has listening. one of the be-
3: I think that has one of the best images of the book in that the when the nuke hits the the cube it it oh, yeah. makes the sphere transparent for a while, and they can see the stars wheeling past at, at you know the, the rate of hundreds of thousands of years.
1: And that's when everybody freaks out, mm-hmm. right? they say, oh, God, what's happening? And then they know that time is moving differently, although they get the hint from the, the rocket what, the, they send out. The, the Soviet, uh, yeah, the, the Russian right, the, astronauts, the astronauts. Who, who, who were up there for several weeks, and then they come down, and it was like, no time had passed.
2: And everyone's like, you're crazy,
1: Russians. That's right. Well, I guess two of them die, and one of them survives, and he's in the hospital. And that's kind of a throwaway thing. I, You know, I, I this is not true, but, but – I'll just say it, that when I'm reading it, um, I, I just uh, written a novel for the first time and I read this book and I thought, you know, um, anybody can write a Hugo winner if this is a Hugo winner. And I don't mean that in a mean Whoa. way because the ideas are great, but the the characters. That's kind of mean. And, and the character. Yeah, OK, it's kind of mean. The characters and the character interaction, uh, you know, it, it didn't didn't seem special. It it, it it This is a book that really gets carried, I think, by those big ideas and and i I can see why you'd be disappointed at the end because it's true the big ideas are sort of played out at the end and then it's sort of teasing you toward whatever the next thing in the series is going to be set in the universe but it's not a continuation of uh of a previous story because
3: that story is over come follow the the characters you don't care about
2: (laughs) well and you know the hugos i don't think they base many of the hugos on actual writing frankly not that there aren't well written hugo or award winners but well and this and this isn't
4: particularly poorly written either I mean you know it's got he he can turn a phrase I mean sure it's not
1: poorly written I'm just saying that
4: it it didn't strike me a lot of these a lot of especially the Hugo books
1: but books in general I'll read and I'll think dang you know this person is a is a is really talented and and you know I don't know if I could ever hope to write something like that where spin was like I know how this book it seemed to me like I understood how it was put together the structure seemed very straightforward the character Mm -hmm. interaction seemed really straightforward I could see I, I mean I could sort of see how it was assembled and and that was kind of interesting that that it, it, this is a an award-winning novel and yet it, it didn't it didn't seem like magic right i mean well, it's kind of, of like maybe like magic, you're standing
4: but... you're standing sort of next to a stage for a magic show and you can si- kind of see what's going on behind the scenes but it still makes you appreciate the the, yeah. the craft
0: that's fooling everybody else—it's <laughs> the pen and teller of Hugo winners. It has a few things in common with this in terms of hard science. We should talk about these. This pair—it actually violates the law of the second book is always horrible. Uh, the uh, Forge of God, Forge of God, and Anvil of Stars by Greg Bear. So twenty, uh, was it twenty plus year old set of books, and the second book involves. I mean, it's this thing where it's you know first pair narrator in the second book, uh, huge amounts of like. Physics and science, extremely well written, compelling characters, and but it has. I think there's a similar. I want to say there's a little bit of a similar feel, like there's all, but it, it, even like a more uh, more happening in the service of the plot. But um, anyway, I think it might be. It could be fun to talk about those, especially in relation to the issue of like good writing, strong plot. Uh, the first of the two books is a Hugo winner,
2: all right. Um, Lame. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so I, I looked up what the other the books that Spin was up against in the Hugo the 2006 Hugos, just because I was curious. So it was up against Learning the World by Ken McLeod, Macle- which I can Macleod, never pronounce MacLeod. his name. Uh, McLeod, whatever. He's Cloud. a good writer. I haven't read Learning the World, though. Uh, a Feast for Crows by George R. R. Martin. Oh. Uh, 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 Accelerando by Charles Strauss. Oh. And uh, Old Man's War... By oh, John oh, Scales. well, so well I, Old I would
4: prefer War. I would prefer I like Scalzi. Old I think Man's War. Old yeah. Man's War is a better
2: book. Old Man's That's War a, is a good book, but I think that I think that the Hugo's often you come up with the most original idea and you win a Hugo. And I, I have to say that the the time shifting between the the spin membrane and the rest of the universe and the whole colonizing Mars thing is a fantastic idea.
1: I agree. I he agree. Win, he and
2: wins two ideas each one right. That's why it won. It had two ideas in it. The
0: other books only had one. That's right. (laughs) They count for the Hugos. So
1: um, next up on the agenda is yet another Hugo winner. We are doing Hugo winners today. Uh, Hyperion by Dan Simmons, um, which was released in 1989. Won the Hugo in 1990 and uh i really i really like this uh i really like this book so um, wait, is there
3: anybody who doesn't love hyperion except for the last spoiler horn mm-hmm. two words
0: I, I wait what are the last two words no, they I, mean? they, they, that they don't there aren't more of them oh uh, the, yeah the, i thought hyperion is end. like <laughs> I was trying to remember it's, this thing. This, we were talking about this in email. It's that the stories, the story about the uh, a million monkeys, where uh, this rich man develops a computer system. This is from back in the fifties that will create you know every piece of literature, and it produces this uh, uh, you know randomly, and it it sorts stuff out, and it produces the greatest story ever written, except it's missing the last chapter, and he tries to hire a writer friend of his to uh, to finish it, and I was like, that is what I feel about with Hyperion. It's like the it's one of the finest, most beautiful science fiction novels i would ever read. I mean, Dune is terrific. Uh, Hyperion, I think, is gorgeous, uh, sort of like um, The Sparrow, um, oh, the, yes. which is it's. I mean, which again, don't read number two in The Sparrow. I've read yeah. that. It's horrible. Uh, but Hi- Hyperion is, is such a beautiful lyrical book, and he tells so many different stories, and each of them has its own voice and tone. You're thinking, who is this guy? Where did he come from? How did he... Create all of these universes. This, you know, all the different planets, the interactions. It's this. It's as if he is living in a parallel universe. It's so beautifully described. Uh, and then what came after is is so. Hideous well,
1: comparison. I, I, see, I know I don't. I don't agree with that now. But let's let's start okay. at the beginning here. Hyperion is structured in a way where there's a framing story, which is these pilgrims going to the time tombs on the planet of Hyperion, and then in between they are telling their individual tales. So uh, I guess you could liken it to something like Lost. It's really much more like um, like the Canterbury Tales, where you've got the individual tales of the pilgrims on their way. That's sort of the the concept really, um, and it's. Uh, and the problem i think from the perspective of the ending is that um this book is about the stories told by the people on their journey to the time tombs and then they get there and that's the end right because that's not what this book is about it's about it, it is in a way about the setup but it's also about the you know learning who these people are on this journey and and as that it is, it is brilliant, and it is brilliantly written. It's not just a bunch of good ideas, and this book is overflowing with good ideas. But um, it's really – as Simmons is such a great writer, and I'd actually read some others of his stuff before I read this. But um, it's, it's just so wonderfully written and so many great ideas.
3: But the ending has the exact opposite problem of spin is rather than being wound down and disinterested in the characters you're <laughs> left with, you are incredibly wound up, really interested in the characters, and then it ends. There's nowhere to go. It's in – I wanted to throw the book across the room. I kept saying he can't resolve this in the next three pages. He can't resolve this (laughs) in the next two pages. He didn't resolve it. The the Fall of
1: Hyperion is how it
3: was resolved. I I am actually angry thinking about it. It was a beautiful book and I loved reading it. And just from the very beginning, just the the number and amount of ideas, the, the priest story, the first one that gets told is riveting. And all the way through, and then you get to the end and it you're you're suddenly Wily e. Coyote hanging over the cliff with a little yipe sign. Nowhere to go but down. Well or or you can read the sequel. Hey, which Glenn would tell this you. This is a to book. Do. It's a standalone object. It should finish. It should have a denouement.
1: Simmons does this too, because I read a book of his called Ilium, and uh, I got to the the end, and it it turned out it was two books. It was one book split into two. Yeah,
0: you get to the end of Ilium, and it's like it's like you're not even at the anti-denouement. You're like you're like, and the battle begun. Wait, whoa, wait, what the?
1: Yeah, and I got to say, I uh, have not read anything by him since because i was so turned off by that approach and you, yet i
3: did read the hyperion books. you go into lord of the rings and you know what you're getting into yeah I, mean, I
1: think i think i knew that hyperion was a two was a two at the time two book series and that i was going to probably have to read the second book. i went into so the i,
3: wasn't in I went into the broke
0: cycle knowing what i was getting into and that right. was a, you know a years-long investment in time I, I read lord of the rings and i don't remember what happens after frodo gets the ring it all turns out well though right yeah, <laughs> it's everybody's happy. That's and all then I got. I was then only then interested die. in Rivendell, and then it lost it. Wait a minute, Frodo sure. gets the ring. Oh, spoiler horn! Yeah, no, I think I this mean, podcast be...
1: contains spoilers for <laughs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs>
0: Arthur bruised his
1: arm. So, so Simmons, you know, it, it is this—it's this far future, and there there are all of these throwaway ideas, like the All Thing, which is this like agglomeration of minds and of artificial intelligences, and and they've got the Farcaster portals, which let you step through from one place to another, which leads to the natural naturally the super rich would have a, uh, have houses where each room was on a different planet. Now, that, is totally por- awesome. like,
0: and that, that is totally awesome. There
1: would be a river that runs across multiple planets
0: and through portals and well, people take
1: boats and- down the river. How crazy is that?
0: And you have to say like one of Simmons great abilities. Like he can be an incredibly self-indulgent writer and some of his writing. I cannot stand because it's so cloying and blah, but like the best of it is he has, um, you know, I don't, actually know exactly his background but he must have been a classicist or he has read everything written before you know the year 500 Uh, C.E. because uh, his command of the past is so extraordinary and he can transmute that into both the characters within the novel being aware of the fact that the stuff they're living through is an allusion to the past. They create the river Tethys and they call it Tethys not because they've forgotten what it means but because that's what they remember but you still get that ringing of like you know Plato in there as well. I felt like Hyperion was like the final exam for a
3: liberal arts education. (laughs) Every once in a while, you say, "Hey, I know what that means. I get that illusion yeah. when right. i was when I was in school, it was like my second year of college uh, some proto hipster Twee band came out with an album called Cloud Cuckoo Land, and I got the reference to Aristophanes the Birds, and I felt like my entire education had been justified at that point because I got a pop culture reference that alluded to classical education.
1: From some band that now resides in the "Where are they now?" file. Yes, where
3: are they now? File, and that's right? that's how I felt no, reading Hyperion. I may have gotten one in ten references, but I felt incredibly smug every time. Hey, I got it's one. John Keats. <laughs>
1: he he becomes a major character in the sequel, by the way. John Keats. He's a pretty major character
3: in this one too.
1: Well, I suppose he is. He's he's like the viewpoint character in the sequel, <laughs> yes. which is
0: strange, but. The well, and, and then Jones and means. then the Shrike. The Shrike is probably like the Tree of Pain, and the, is that what it's called? Right. And the Shrike. I mean, again with the uh, again with the ideas. So not only is Hyperion really a set of really strong novellas. I mean, they're, they're more than short stories. So it's like yes. a, a series of novellas with an incredibly strong backbone. But you also have this idea, all the ideas, and the Shrike is, I think, of uh, across all four books. Even though I really hated them as I went along the series further and further. There's four um, books.
1: Yeah, there's yeah, Hyperion, did you know? Fall of Hyperion, Endymion, and Rise, Rise of Endymion. I'm not going to
0: read any of them out of spite. Don't, don't I, he,
1: well, actually, I think you might like the Fall of Hyperion. I liked it, it and it does have an ending.
0: It is not horrible. The Fall of Hyperion is fine, but it's Endymion and, and Rise of Endymion feel like feeble-minded sequels written by someone else compared to the narrative richness of the first book. But you're or right. Even the, the second,
1: those six, no- the six essentially novellas, the six tales of the six characters in the, in the book, including one that actually I had already read and what was an award winning novella, I believe. Oh, I see. Remembering Siri. Um, great, great stuff. And then, and then you've got this journey to the time tombs and the shrike and the shrike is this myth- mythical, but not mythical character who appears and, and, kills you except when he doesn't. And the time tombs are, uh, one of the things that I really love about this is the time tombs are an uh, unknown structure from the future that is passing backward in time. And then right. at some point in the past, they will open, contain, and they contain things from the future, which is just this real head spinner of an idea that you're watching an object that's traveling backward in time. Right. It's, a it's like, like a, um It's like a, a weapon. Chron- There's a book called The Chronoliths by... Um, is that by Robert Charles Wilson too, who did spin? I think I think maybe it is. Where it's the same thing where you kinda of turn your head and you're like, Oh, this is from the future and now has come back to the past. Um it, it it's, is by it's him, a head scratcher. Yes. Yeah. Thank yeah, but it, they
0: get used. To, is it a is it a weapon? And you're. It's unclear who's in charge of the universe. You know, this is. I'm. I'm making endless Douglas Adams references, as is my yes. wand. But you know, in in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the, to the Galaxy universe, there actually is a guy in charge of the galaxy, and you meet him at one point. And he's very is very amusing, um, and uh, not quite what you'd expect. And here, it's like you know, there are. Eventually, I can't remember how far into the series of novels, you understand that there are vast powers at work, that it's not a local phenomenon, a galaxy phenomenon. There's something that's almost fundamental to nature itself. There's a fight at the end of the universe. And that's actually, if I can talk about this, this it's like double spoiler alerts. Um, The problem with the Hyperion pair and the Endymion pair, and that you can read this anywhere you read about Endymion is that he rewrites the history. You've read Hyperion, you read Fall of Hyperion, and it's a self-contained set of stories. Then you jump 200-something years in the future, and it's like a whole other ball of wax. And that thing you read in Hyperion that was so beautiful, well, it wasn't really like that. And that physical description that's in the book, well, that physical description was wrong. I'm like, you can't do that. I understand he wanted to change the narrative, but you can't say something in Hyperion that someone physically saw is now described differently. I'm like, I can pick up the other book and read the description. Is the book telling me the other copy of the physical book in reality is wrong? So it's, I would just say, well, it's kind of like Back to the Future too.
1: <laughs> go, I, I don't disagree with the, they go with back that. over it, and you're like, wait a second, that's not that's exactly right. what I happened I can go look. I can hit the rewind. But I, I don't think. See, I'm going to argue though, and, and this is a recurring theme about sequels letting you down. That uh, it doesn't change how great this book is. No. no and I, I think agree. if you go in knowing that it that it doesn't really have an ending, and that there's another book required to
3: resolve the tales of the
1: of the people. It's, it is a great ride, Greg. I mean, wouldn't you agree?
3: Oh, absolutely, unquestionably. It's a terrific book. I just wish there was another chapter. We, we should Just have one chapter, a- not a whole other book, not three more books, <laughs> just one more chapter to finish the freaking story that I started.
0: We should set up a list of uh, – ultimately start developing a list of the books like the great – not just like greatest you know, sci-fi, which is hard to categorize, but it's like you know, The Sparrow, Hyperion, and Dune. Everyone should read them if they're interested in sci-fi in the least or trying to get into it. Like these three books are an introduction to different aspects of sci-fi and they're fantastically interesting to read. That's actually and- how I read Hyperion and Dune is some friends were appalled that I hadn't read them. And so they right. walked
3: me through the Hugo list and said circled them and said this one this one this one this <laughs> yeah. one I've been reading science fiction my whole life and I hadn't read some of the you know towering classics of the genre
1: Here's my review of Dune Um it picks up after the uh after
0: the first 200 pages <laughs>
1: it starts to get good it does it's true I liked, you know, once I he gets it, but, oh
0: in the desert God. yeah once he's in the desert it's a whole sure. different book
1: sure and but- the sparrow Mary Doria Russell's The Sparrow which we should talk about at some point is, yeah. a, is one of the best Holy books God, that I, I've ever read however I will say that I think the last um, hundred pages of it it feels like she realized she needed to finish and get it to her publisher and um, a lot of her description and detail drops out and it becomes about, about plot resolution yep but doesn't change the fact that I love that book it, well, is, I, it, I,
4: endings are tough and I mean I, I I never look any farther than um, Neil Stevenson, who's one of my favorite writers, who <laughs> is very early. Uh, he seemed to have some sort of congenital ending problem oh, with uh, Jesus Snow Jesus. Crash. He said know, that he writes the endings he intends. He has said that, that yeah. I don't write
3: – I'm, I'm a competent enough writer to write the ending I intend. I want but it to end that
0: way. He's, he's wrong that, about that, his that, own work then. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I mean Snow Crash is a fantastic book and I think one of the one of the best books in the last you know 30 years. But it's just – yes. It, that it, it, it has gr- it's great all the way up until about like the last chapter, and you're just like, wait, what? It's over. Zodiac Motorcycle is chase,
0: the- giant screens, <laughs> organs, destruction of the government, helicopter chase, mafia. Zodiac
3: Boom. is the only book he's ever written that is actually a, a coherent story with a beginning, a middle, and an end. It's I, a- I, I, I argue death. that if
4: you take the entire Baroque cycle from beginning to finish, that it takes one giant story, which actually has a pretty decent ending. Talk about
3: but. taking 200 pages, 400, <laughs> 500 pages to get going. I loved it, yeah, you got to warm up for the That's first a three, book, a 3,000-page p-
0: novel to get to the end. I've tried twice to start it, and I've failed. I got a little further the second time. It's worth it. But it's it's like, absolutely worth it. I, you know, I got to base oh, camp gr- C, and I was like, all right, got to oh, no, go it, back down. I'm out of oxygen. It
1: is worth it. I, I love Jeez. that. I, and I also love the fact that... Um, I need more Sherpas. To, to,
0: hook you, he, to hook
1: you, he says. he says, you know, early on, I'm going to have a big pirate battle and then there's like no, that it has nothing to do with basically the rest of the book but you know he throws it in at the beginning to get you hooked a little bit and then it's a a, a ride for three thousand pages i
3: remember i got but to I page 400 it. and i thought okay now we're going <laughs>
4: yeah <laughs> well, like it, it takes that long it takes at least <laughs> yeah. first, halfway through the first book there i was just like okay now we're getting to it and then the second book is fantastic i thought my favorite of the entire series but I, yeah. my
0: fingers went numb, and, and the ice storm swept in, and I just had to climb back down. I couldn't do it.
4: Uh, I, well, knowing that there's three thousand,
1: at least you knew there were three thousand pages before true. you got to the end that of the story, true. as opposed to something like Hyperion, where you know you don't know that going in, and, well, and, it, can, re- and it can be kind of upsetting.
4: And it's nice if you're really desperate for something to read and you're like, oh, there's a drought of books coming out that I want to read or something. You can just you can just sink yourself in that. For, well, that's how uh, I feel
1: about, about the George R.R. R. Martin. I've got that fourth book or whatever it is in his series, and I'm just – that's st- salted away for a lean time because I know that it's going to be forever
4: before he writes the next one. Well, yeah, so, and the best part of that is you'll have to read the first three before you can even read that just so you can remember what happened. Who are these
1: people again? And – and it's funny talking about Stevenson. We may not get to Michael Chabon today. I don't know. I mean, Neil Stevenson, I, I think Zodiac is a really good thing. Uh, 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 Greg mentioned it that I, I think it holds together, and I think it's a really good piece of work. And I really like the Diamond Age, actually. Um, I, I'm yes. not sure. I think Snow Crash, the first half of Snow Crash is great, but then I feel like it kind of repeats itself until it's like a, a, a record. Re, you know, sort of skipping until it's somebody lifts up the needle at the end. It, you know, the first half is great, and then it kind of falls apart.
3: I went and dug up the Big U, his first book, and there are amusing scenes, but it's it's not worth going to find. Is All
0: is right. that the one with the brain surgery? It's the or one the that presidential takes place.
3: candidate. No, no, no. That that was the one written under a pseudonym that oh, came okay. later, and I Maybe can't what that's called. can't think of the pseudonym S- off the top Stephen of Stephen Burry. Yeah, he, yeah. yeah, yeah. The the Big U is written under his name, but it was something he wrote in college. And it's a satire slash parody of of like a mill college where the, the it's a like an office block that the the college takes place in. It's just one giant building, um, and there were some nice scenes in it. There were some really great scenes, but on the whole, it was just a big mess.
1: Now Zodiac is the one where I, I I read Zodiac after Snow Crash, and I said, "Wow, this is great!" And it was you know set in the present day in Boston, and there's a guy with a raft, and he's the Eco Spider Man, Toxic and- Spider Man.
0: I also oh. learned. I learned what to do if you get uh, PCP po- or uh, TC- uh, PCP poisoning. No, no. Uh, uh, <laughs> chew, car- chew charcoal if you swallow too many. Uh, yeah, PCPs. Isn't that the polyglutel? Por- uh, no, PVC? that called? PVC. What? There's a pollution in the book. angel dust.
3: Yeah, you're right. What's the pollution in the book? Um, it's uh,
0: PCBs. 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 I'm sorry. And you chew car- charcoal, which I later turned out he was completely accurate. So now I, I learned a valuable life skill from the book. If you so have if you,
1: if you drink have some toxic waste you can yeah. eat some charcoal exactly. you can tell you can tell by the back acne. Mm, charcoal <laughs> charcoal is tasty all right so we talk about the
4: yiddish Policeman's union a little bit no yeah i'm i'm, re- I'm refreshing my my memory on it which, which i, I love honestly yeah hey, I'm, reading, I'm reading Wikipedia. I'm just Wikipedia. It, was, it was a couple of years ago where i read it but i i loved it when I read it it was one of my favorite books that year i actually recommended to my dad i don't recommend a lot of books to my dad but um, as he is Jewish, I thought he and and like sort of noir stuff, I thought he would get a kick out of it. Yeah. So it's and an
1: I, it's it's it won it won the Hugo. Um, it is a an alt history story, which is why I think it qualifies. Uh, set in uh, late forties, I believe, or early. You know, no, it's. Isn't no, no, it, it's later than no, that. No, it's it's, uh, it's modern age. It's, it's uh, modern age. It's present day. It's yeah, just, it was the, the divergence period is in the early forties where right, they The war changes. Right, th- they create a place for all the Jews in the world to go because Israel is um, doesn't work. Is is destroyed, and so they all end up in Sitka, Alaska. And it's fifty years later, and there's one of these like Hong Kong with a hundred year lease. There's a right. fifty year lease on the space. The space is about to be um, vacated, which means that all the Jews in Sitka are having to find somewhere else in the world it's sort of a new diaspora Um, and in this there's a murder mystery that's told from the perspective of the uh, policemen who are working in the last days of this Jewish enclave's existence.
0: You gotta have a Seamus if you got a murder mystery (laughs)
1: <laughs> you gotta, you got, you gotta have it, and there's mysticism in it too. So it's not just the alt history. There's well, this whole idea of a mystical uh, uh, kind of,
4: uh, pro- but it's just such a well done um, homage to you know your your Raymond Chandler, Dashiell Hammett style detective novels. Of, oh yeah, of, of it's the twenties, forties. It's, 20s it's, it's, it's so a hard well constructed,
1: hard boiled detective story, except that it's got this wacky uh, alt universe uh setting right which is that i mean it, the fact that the uh you know one of the best writers in the english language is playing in genres like this delights yep. me to no end that that he he is he you know you put him on the list he is I, I would fight to the end of the earth to say that michael chabon is one of the best writers period in the english language if not the best he's in the top five or ten and he writes young adult and sci-fi and things comic that are books, kind of and comic books and things that are kind of askew and mashing up genres and then doing the amazing man,
4: the work. The man, man won a Pulitzer too. Yeah, for yeah. Cav- for Cavalier and Clay. Yeah, which you is know, this another is, fantastic book.
0: It has the same Cavalier and Clay has this thing that it stunned me when I read it and it, it also stunned me in Yiddish Policeman is uh, he's not writing as a magical realism. He's writing fully in the alternative world that he creates. It's a very realistically defined world that parallels real developments. Cavalier and Clay it's you know it's a comic, it's, it's a different and, uh set of, of which comic book heroes became big, right? Instead of Superman, it's the escapist. And right. in that book, there's a scene that I remember it, um, it wasn't chilling, but I was just so stunned by it, because you're reading along and he goes to the cemetery and is trying to essentially commune with his dead, uh, the, the, you know, sort of our main character, one of our main characters, he's trying to commune with his the dead uh, mu- magician who trained him and he said, he's not going to show up, he's not going to show up and he didn't show up, and then he turns around, there he is. And you're like, oh, wow, he just, what did he just do there? He took me out of this, you Know, it isn't. He sort of said, "We're in the real world. People die, and there's nothing else." And then, oh, and here's the ghost. And the same thing, in Yiddish Policeman, Where you're, you're sort of like this guy is not the Messiah. He's not the Messiah. This is all a sort of fever dream, and and all you know. There's all these political plans and all this other stuff going on. Like, oh my goodness gracious, he is perhaps he Maybe. is the Messiah. Maybe, but he has the the scene when he when the uh, wife of the uh, of the rabbi of the um uh, Lubavitcher Rabbi is recounting to the detective that um you know how her son visited her right and the son who is may or may not be the messiah is able to she thinks he's this overweight woman, and then she looks at him again and realizes that he is no he's just made her perceive that and you're like what what is that is that you know a godlike power? what is his role in redemption and, and it's just a, it just breaks you out of this whole you know realistic alt history into something that's like magical realism but isn't Wow. And, uh, and that's the end. I'm sorry. That's the end of the podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs> so, <laughs> think, no, awesome. no, you're right. let just wrapped it right <laughs> up. <laughs> you you <laughs> have that
1: moment where you bought into the premise and said, this is a wacky premise, but now it's being held. It's being handled in a real world sort of way. And then there's that, that twist where he says, ah, but. What if they're right, and this guy is, was, is the Messiah? It's and like,
4: uh, it's like the end of Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street,
1: and the red calf oh. has been born. Because they, there's <laughs> that whole thing about the breeding the cows to get the red calf. That's you true. You got to have a red calf. You know that's, that's true, right? Yeah, that yeah. is. That is. Yeah, okay. Oh, I
0: know. It's and it comes up in uh, Goddamn uh, Spin as well. There's yeah. our theme. The red heifer must be born. The red heifer. The red heifer in, in uh, Hyperion. I still like though. beating it's very him. Confusing well there's a messiah wrong. but not until uh, endymion
1: Ah, uh, but you know Chabon, the the characters are great you do you do have that kind of near dwell uh, uh p- cop and his partner oh, par- i mean he's he's
4: he's literally you know every private eye you know from hardboiled crime fiction right oh yeah he's got the ex-wife and you know he's got you know the partner a and
0: drinking
2: problem, kind of, huh? Yeah, drinking, the problem, drinking yeah. problem, a chess and...
0: problem. He's got a terrible chess problem. <laughs> well, he's
4: got his quirk, right? Like every every detective always has their 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 little quirk. Um, and I love I love how well that Shabon uh, sort of mixes the the language that he uses and like the 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 terminology and the vocabulary, mixing Yiddish with in such a way that it so seamlessly comes off sounding like hard-boiled detective-speak, right? In the same way that you might call a gun like a heater or something. Like, it's, it kind of all bleeds together in it. It totally works. I just found that so well done and so engrossing in the way that he just, you know, this is what would happen if you had put all these... That's very um, Clockwork Orange. People like that in there. Yeah. And there's, I mean, that in in comparison with the the whole, uh, you know, substituting sort of, instead of... The, the, the Jews having to deal with the, the you know, Palestinians who are there, uh, they're sharing this land with the Native Americans, um, <laughs> yielding all sorts of, you know, obviously, uh, parallel disputes and, and sort of interesting meshing of the, the Native religion and Judaism and all these these conflicts and, and right, you know, they, it,
1: and they want the land, and so does the American government, right? Right, which is right. one of the interesting things about the setting is that the the U.S. government has basically said, um, it's funny because of course we have a U.S. government that's a, a supporter of Israel and has been since it was founded, and in this novel, the U.S. government is basically telling all the Jews on its soil, get beat it, we're done with you, get, you know, it, it is a very Stark contrast, and and you know everybody's afraid of being left behind and being essentially stateless, which is you know crazy, but that's the situation that they're in. It's such a, a contrast.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, it's a great turnaround. is you got to write about the, you got to write about uh, at some level like the Palestinians or stateless people. Yeah, but, but you know, with this sort of unfamiliar place, I and mean, the Jews that create Israel, what things did the Jewish people or the Israeli style you know, pioneers, what do they do to make their state? And in this case they were totally powerless. They're like, here's you know, this Godforsaken place, the frozen north, uh, and and you know, make something of it, which they do.
1: For fifty years and then then get out.
0: new
4: New Moo Red Heifer. No, not the heifer. Not the heifer. Different new. All right. So we're we're communing with our with our Judaism apparently. <laughs> if
1: you say so 'll I'll run that by my wife.'
0: mentioned Werden.
1: Ah uh, yes, now you're speaking German or is it, or is it a, it's a, little bit both,
0: a little a little of both you can talk one way you can talk the other
1: uh, all right Michael Shaban, um I, I'll throw it out there. Uh, wrote a, a young adult novel in two thousand and two called Summerland, which is fantastic and features Beautiful. a uh, a fairyland where the fairies all play baseball and it's always <laughs> summertime.
4: and it is he also it wrote is eight. Great. A strange little book called the, uh, the, I believe, called the Final Solution, about uh, basically a detective, a retired older detective who may be familiar if you have read a lot of detective fiction.
1: Uh uh-huh. mm. and he wrote, uh, he wrote a, a small novel called Gentleman of the Road. Which, oh, that is which a great book. I believe he said his, his working title was something like Jews in Asia. <laughs> and it's basically an action. <laughs> it's a, it, it's it's an a action. picaresque. Yeah, it's an it's action a, it's book. Fantastic. And they've got swords and they fight and they, you think they're going to die and then they don't die. And you think they're going to die and they don't die. And it's um, it's hugely fun. I mean, that's the thing about this guy is is his books are not um, snoozes. They are, um, they are all really good. So, uh, you know, I, I actually just read his book. Uh, Essay collection, Manhood for Amateurs, and and that was great too. So he's a he's one of my favorites. And uh, if you're going to start, I mean, I guess you start with either this one or you start with the Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, which he won the Pulitzer for. Which that is, is a terrific a, book, a masterwork of a book.
0: Uh, a parallel book to that, by the way, is uh, Carter Beats the Devil. nearly the same time. Fantastic. I've read read that. Totally underrated book. book. And there are many things in common. I think they're written almost the same, about the same year as Cavalier and Clay, but very, very underrated book again, again, with the magical realism, a little bit of it, you know, a little goes a long way.
1: And that's, uh, Glenn David gold. That's right. right? That's
4: right. I have a copy that I picked. That's one of the ones I picked up just off a whim, you know, looking at the bookshelf and I, you know, I was at some point had like sort of magicians was a very big interest of mine and, and, it looked. It has this great you know, cover and sort of this old-timey Houdini-era poster. Um, and it's just, I don't know, its it, something about it intrigued me. And I picked it up and read it on a whim, and, and it was fantastic.
0: I would say the two, you could put Cavalier Clay on one hand and Carter Beats the Devil on the other and be very, uh, uh, books to read back-to-back back that have a very similar um, fundamental nature with a different writing style, but both incredibly good reads.
1: All right. Uh, That's a good transition for me to ask you Uh, anything that you've been reading or that you would like to recommend to the massive I, incomparable list uh, listing audience. I, I keep
0: putting books down. I never do this, and I've been reading books at the suggestion of people on Twitter and on this podcast, and I, I put down Wake. I could not proceed through Wake, and it was InfoQuake Sawyer? or something. No, InfoQuake I have now wake
1: uh, I've got, but I haven't read. Wake think by Robert Sawyer, I mentioned. Uh, that was a Hugo nominee. I and could. that's the blind that's the blind girl, right? With the emergent,
0: uh, yeah, internet. I'm having trouble with the wind-up girl, too. I'm partway into that. Uh, and I know we talked about that before. It's very, it's good. It's very difficult. I'm finding it. It's such a... Um, It's that it's the the parts of Snow Crash are like, or uh, the Diamond Age are like this as well. Where there's parts that are so unpleasant and gritty. Actually, parts of uh, the girl with the dragon tattoo, same thing. It's like you're like, man, if I can get through this part, maybe I can read more of it. But I'm not sure I have the wherewithal to like get through all this incredible gritty, dirty, sweaty awfulness. But I will try. All right, Dan.
4: Um, I
0: I hear you just
1: read Spin. Yeah,
4: I can't recommend this book enough. But I I just bought a book. Um, I know it's exciting. Uh, I don't. I usually buy. I usually get stuff out of the library. Um, but I just I had to um, I had to finish spin, So I haven't been able to read this book that I bought last week, which I bought at a book signing while I was briefly in California, um, by one of my favorite, if not my favorite, author, who is a woman named Lois uh, McMaster Bujold, who writes science fiction and fantasy. Um, and this book is the uh, latest in her series. Um, called the Vorkosigan Saga, which is kind of a space opera slash oh god, pretty much everything. Like her her books, what's great is her books run the run the gamut in terms of genre. A lot of them are sort of more space adventure. Some of them are war stories. There are mysteries, romances. Like and it basically follows one particular character um, through his entire life. And she she said during the reading that I went to that she uh, it was very much modeled after uh, C.S. Forrester's Horatio Hornblower series. Hmm. Um, and it definitely has a, a vibe like that, but it's all set in, in space. Um, anyway, so she just released the most recent uh, novel in this series, which is called Cryoburn, which I have not gotten to read yet because I was finishing Spin, so I could talk to you guys about <laughs> it. <laughs> so it's sitting there on my desk, taunting oh, me. You can report back on that next time. I will, but I will say, anyone who has not read her series The Four and Saga, I highly recommend it. And where do we um, start with that? One of the well, so it's kind of tricky because there, there's actually a pair of books that she wrote first um that deal with the parents of the of the person who goes on to be the main character of the rest of the series but if you would like to start with the warrior's apprentice which is depending on how you look at it, the first or third book in the series. And it's I believe available.
1: available as a free ebook. Right? And it's
4: available as a free e- ebook oh. from the Bain e-library, which is one reason I suggest it. First Bain one's is free.
1: free. First one's free, folks. Mm. First book in the series Delicious. is free, except unless it's Hyperion <laughs> or Dune or something like
0: that. Hey, I think you
1: pay for it.
0: I forgot one. Wait, I forgot one. How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. I'm I still was, reading it. I am reading that, too. And I, we will I, be talking about that in a future podcast, I assume. Per-
1: perhaps so, by Charles Yu. I'm reading that right it now. It's fascinating. It is a very strange,
3: yes. very strange book.
1: Greg, are you reading anything?
3: I'm, I'm kind of impressed that I got a quiet hour just to record this podcast. <laughs> um, yeah. I would, it, Anathem has haunted my nightstand for, what, two years now?
1: But on the bright side, it's holding everything down. <laughs> That's
0: true.
3: That's a, I will gravity. read anything Neil Stevenson writes, including, like, In the Beginning was the Command Line and Mother Earth Motherboard, and I I just haven't been able to get to it.
0: I've read this twice and I was surprised the second reading held up very, very well. And I actually in some ways liked it better because there was less confusion and suspense about certain things that confused me and suspended me the first time. Yeah, every time I'm confused by a book that
3: I enjoy, I'll go back and reread it just because you're not so hung up on the details of what's going on and you're taking in the bigger picture.
1: I am reading uh, I am reading How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. I just finished Blackout by Connie Willis, which was hmm. recommended by Dan Morin. It's the sequel to two Hugo winners, actually, to Say Nothing of the Dog and Doomsday Book. But uh, in the theme of today's show, it is really one half of <laughs> a larger novel. <sighs> the good news is that the par- second part, All Clear, came out this week. Um, or last week,
4: but re- yeah, I gotta get get a hold of that somehow.
1: recently, and I knew that going in, so I knew I was sort of going to read
4: half the story. Yeah, and pause. That was for a much week better than when I, when I did not know that and, and like got closer and closer to the end of what is actually a pretty large book. Yeah, and I'm started thinking, how the hell are they ever going to get out of this?
1: And it's it's funny because it is. Um, you can sort of see where it's going with the science fictional aspect of the plot. But, but it's because, much more a historical But it is a historical. It's part. really a historical novel about the London Blitz that mm-hmm. happens to have some time travelers who are witnessing it, and you see it through their eyes. But it's not. I mean, this, the point of the story is the different aspects of people living through the Blitz. Uh, and it's good, but it's definitely not your rollicking time travel adventure. It is much more a a, a sci-fi novel that's really a, bit, a historical.
4: Uh, it's a little more in the vein of the Doomsday Book in some ways. Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. A uh, uh, side note is I think we might discuss discussing anthologies and short story collections. I've read – in the in the last couple of years, I've read a few amazing collections of short stories by sci-fi writers who uh, often don't write full-length novels or they're probably not – their full-length novels are not as well regarded as their short stories. And that may be entertaining to discuss.
1: I agree. In fact, I, I read a short story collection that I thought was maybe – was it – what did Greg recommend it to me? Greg Noss? Was
3: it you? <gasps> That depends. Dun, did you dun, like
1: dun. it? Do, yeah, I did, I did like it. Then, God, yes, who, it was me. Well, well, then what was it? Do you remember?
3: <laughs> that thing, you know, with the guy. <laughs>
1: the, with the guy. It, it, the I read
0: that, too. It was terrific.
1: Oh, man. I can't remember it now. It was it was really great. Is
0: it by a Seattle-based writer? It might be. Is it? Did he have a story in there about someone who— It's a
1: story about the guy who— There's the mirror that um, you can step through and go back in time or no, forward in time, no, depending on no. which no. direction yeah. you go. Narnia. <laughs> No, that was a wardrobe, <laughs> not a mirror. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll Alice put in Wonderland that in the show notes. This is not a game show. You keep going. To get keep going. going. Family Circus sounds like um, no. Uh, the Matrix. other book that I read. The other book that I read was The Disappearing Spoon by Sam Kean, and I recommend it highly. It is popular science nonfiction, and it's a book hmm. about the periodic table of the elements. And let me just say, <laughs> every element oh. has at least a chapter's worth of wacky historical anecdotes about it. And it takes this kind of this veering, bouncing around the periodic table to tell you about various scientists who learned great things before they had died young from horribly poisoning themselves (laughs) with various elements um, the, the title of the book, The Disappearing <laughs> Spoon, r- refers to an element, and I can't remember which one now, but it, it's it's a metal whose melting point is at about 70 degrees Fahrenheit. So you can craft a spoon of this metal and st- store it in a freezer, and then you serve it with tea, and somebody s- tries to stir their tea with it, and it melts in the tea, and they go, Ah! And and then everybody has a laugh and then presumably dies of heavy metal poisoning. Yeah, <laughs> but seriously, uh, that's and, a
4: great that's a, that's a murder mystery right there.
0: I want to write of, that book. Can I write that? It's too late, though, isn't it's it? It's too
1: late because Sammy <laughs> Sam Keen has already read it. That's but I, I do recommend it. Idea. It's in, in sort of a Bill Bryson style of it's light and fun and yet and everybody has some, dies. That's an all great Bill books. has <laughs> some great um great stories in it. So the disappearing spoon. <laughs> Um, <laughs> check it out if you want to read about elements because let me tell you they're all
0: around us the sequel will be about fundamental forces and it'll be called the dropped anvil no
1: it'll be about molecules <laughs> and it'll be quarks
0: gluons the, anti-protons uh, disappearing
1: ion I don't know it was great so if you like your uh, if you like a little science along with your science fiction that would be a nice little side book to read is the disappearing spoon that's all I got anything else
0: I got nothing
1: you got nothing uh, nope Boy, we really ended with a bang there.
0: <laughs> this like, just, just
1: spin, like some of the books like you're spin. talking about. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. call back if this. Po- this yes, yes, dear listener. Now that you've reached this point, we can tell you the most important thing that will make this entire podcast revelatory to you. You'll you'll say, "Boy, I'm so glad that they finally brought it all back together." Oh well, we're out of time. I guess we'll bring that up at the beginning of the I next so. podcast. Sad. So until then. I'm Jason Snell. I would like to thank my guest, Scott McNulty. Thank you for being here.
4: Remember me always. They'll always be Zeppelins. <sighs> you have been and always will be my friend.
1: Wrong podcast. Damn it! Dan Morin. Thank you, Dan, for being on every podcast. Oh, thanks, Jason. I keep inviting me to every podcast. That's right. You're, you know, this podcast is over. Well, no, it is over now. Um, uh, Glenn Fleischman, thank you very much for thank attending. You. you have perfect attendance so far. Ooh. And... Greg Noss, thanks for joining us and, and becoming one with the uh, one with the podcast for the first time.
3: Thank you, Regis. Uh, I want to uh, remind everybody my movie comes out Friday.
1: That's that's right. Do we have a clip?
0: No? No, there's
1: no clip. Sorry. Your movie comes out what? Friday. That means you like get a Netflix envelope in the mail on Friday, right? <laughs>
0: Before this podcast posts, get iMovie Eleven and make a clip for your movie and we'll be all set. No talk about Apple products. Here. Oh, why would we, we? why would I'm
1: people sorry. even think we know about Apple is products? There, is that's there an Apple spoiler
0: alert porn?
1: No. No, that's the whole podcast is that horn. All right. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Incomparable. Goodbye.
0: This has been The Incomparable Podcast. Visit
4: us at theincomparable.com.
2: to do some extra credit exercise and I'm, I'm i don't think he really understands the concept of extra credit
3: i worked with a woman once and her husband was a personal trainer and he said come on come on it'll be fun and so i met him at a gym at five in the morning one day and he 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 worked me over like a piece of ham and i could not lower my arms for a, a three more days i was walking around like a, a Tyrannosaurus rex leaning over the keyboard to type because i didn't have any flexibility in my elbows <laughs>
1: There were so many things that you said that were interesting. There's the, I worked with a woman once. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, was, that was interesting.
2: Yes. Worked me over like a ham.
1: Well, That was it. That was it. I, I wasn't aware that hams were worked over. That, thank you, uh, Scott. Yes.
3: I, I went for the wrong piece of uh, meat. I should have said side of beef. You know, the, the whole Rocky Balboa-esque take.
1: All right. I, just, I was imagining like a spiral cut ham. And yes, thinking, just, how would you work that over? pounding on it. <laughs> what does that mean? You were a ham.
3: Was spiral cut and honey glazed.
1: And honey glazed. Mm. Delicious.